and so you, you know what happens is, and this is the way I see it. As human beings, we love. We love all sorts of things, which sounds wonderful, unless cocaine is one of the things we love. <laughs> Welcome to the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. All right, we have an awesome episode today. Steven Tobolowski is back. That's right. Man, the first time we spoke to Steven, it's just such an amazing episode. He told this great story about C.V. Ray Vaughan that sort of went viral uh, in the Stevie Ray Vaughan community. Apparently, it was like a story he'd never heard. And, um, you know, Steven used to play. Steven was there for Steve, Stevie Ray Vaughan's very first recording ever. And in this episode, he shows us the record and shows us the credits on the back and an old picture of Stevie Ray Vaughan at like 14, sitting in a chair, like all clean cut with, with Steven Tobolowsky. Like, it's super cool. So an update on that story um, for, for, for that. So please uh, stay tuned in the interview for that. Um, it's about halfway through, I think. Uh, but yeah, great part. Steven's back. We just had such an awesome conversation. Wow, this guy is so smart and unique and... Um, just, I gotta say this, Stephen Tobolowsky is probably the greatest storyteller I've ever heard. Like, no doubt. I hang on every word of every story he tells. I don't, he could tell me the back of a cereal box. I'm, I'm going to, what's the next ingredient? Like, <laughs> I need to know. Um, yeah, I could talk to that guy all day. I can't wait to have him back on again, to be frank with you. It was awesome. So we just had a conversation about life, movies, you know, acting. Uh, he tells some great stories. Okay. Before we get to the interview, here's a quirk word from our sponsor, Texas Real Food. Hi, I wanted to talk to you about other things that are on the Texas Real Food site that are just as amazing as putting in your zip code, finding the best place around you that's serving, you know, all natural, fresh, organic ingredients, all right? There's resources on there. Reviews, blogs, articles, most importantly, Texas Real Food Recipes. So you can find things on there that really aren't on any other site. I promise you that. And stuff that's pretty standard, but we give it a twist, right? That's the chef way. Something familiar with a twist. So we've got, for instance, cinnamon spiced hot cross buns. You can also find a great Texas strawberry cheesecake recipe. Just amazing stuff. So please check it out at texasrealfood.com. All right, back to the show. All right, let's get to the interview real quick. Uh, our social media, Lone Star Plate TX, or just search the Lone Star Plate podcast. And if you're on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button and the notification bell. We release new content every week. All right, and if you do, look, you're saving lives. Okay, save a life. All right, let's get to the interview. Stephen Tobolowski, greatest interview ever. Enjoy. Hey, here I am. Let me use my mic here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here, here. I was naked, and I realized, oh, we're recording this, so I just went and threw some clothes on. 
I, uh, that would be a first. I'm not going to lie. That would be a first. Yeah, I, I'm not kidding. It's like this one guy wanted me to take, th this is true. This one guy wanted me to take part of his project. He says, it's really going to be high class. We're doing this thing. We're trying to put together this project for Netflix. And, you know, we're talking like this on Zoom. And I said, then put some pants on. He says, you could see that I don't have pants. Yes, I could see you don't have pants on. We're beginning this high class thing in a really wrong way. Put the pants on before we start talking. The high class Netflix thing. <laughs> oh, my God. That is so funny. Oh, man. Oh, geez. Well, good. How's your day going so far, Stephen? Thanks uh, it, for joining it, us here. It's yeah, it's you know, it's it's a uh, it's a crazy day so far, and it's crazy day because it's somewhat cat related. Okay. You know, it's it's cat related in that uh, our big cat Finn. I don't know if this is a real subject of interest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I love cats. I mean, yeah, I'm in. I'm who in. doesn't? Who doesn't? Well, there are a few people. One one of which, yeah. Well, I got dogs, anyway. so. Yeah. Well, I used. But to I still dogs. love cats. But I still love cats. I just yeah. can't have them. Finn was losing his fur. Oh. I mean, it was falling out, and he had bald patches. So we had to get Finn to the vet yesterday, which was traumatic. And, you know, taking a dog to the vet is different than taking a cat to the vet because the cat just thinks you're killing it. The instant you pick it up off the ground, it just thinks like it's death. And so this cat weighs like about 20 pounds. So oh, it's wow. like a bobcat. Yeah, so yeah. I had to dress up like Mad Max the Road Warrior, you know, to pick him up. I, and I didn't have the armor, but I'm putting on sweaters, I'm putting on shirts, I'm putting on jackets, I had gloves, I had a helmet on, you know, goggles. And my wife said she wishes she had it on film because she said it was like the most terrifying encounter that this cat was swinging and swaying and sw growing in size and growing paws and, and it was terrifying. And we got the cat to the vet because we were afraid, you know, it had mites or something gross like that, and it would infect Sorry. our entire house. But as it, we found out this morning, the vet called, and Finn was just highly stressed. Give me a break. We're in wow. Hollywood. We're all wow. under stress here. <laughs> they haven't opened the damn studios, Finn. Give me a break. <laughs> You're getting your cat food. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> You're losing your hair. I'm, I've lost mine. <laughs> oh my wow stress how does the doctor even figure that out i'll tell you man at, at about 790 dollars the doctor figures that out <laughs> the series of tests right. and skin scrapings in which they determined that the cause of losing the fur is not uh, diabetes or heart disease or any of the above they go, well, it's probably just stress. Just stress, wow. Just stress. So anyway, Finn is in this room now as I am speaking. And well, I hope so he's doing good. I hope he's, he's feeling hiding. less stressed. He's hiding. Well, yeah. He's hiding from me. So now I'm, I'm just hoping that this interview calms him down. And if you see me go down this way. That's why you're petting him. Yeah, I'm petting I got him you. down here. I got you. Yeah. I've been there. I've been yeah. there. My dog. If, if it's raining and there's thunder here, and I'm doing an interview, yeah. so my dogs will be right here below me. Oh, so I'll yeah. do the same. I do the same thing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. 
Well, wow. Well, you know, my best of Finn, of course. Gosh, Thank that's, you. Tr- that's, that's just so horrible to hear. You know, I'll pass that on to him. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that stresses me out more. Who's this guy from Texas? Who is this guy? Yeah, that's funny. Well, wow. Well, again, thank you so much for for joining us, Stephen. This is awesome. Yeah. Already off to a great start, of course, uh, as always. Um, the last interview we did was amazing. It had such great um, uh, reception from our fans and our viewers. Uh, honestly, it was amazing. To, to be well, frank I'm, with I'm you, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And and you know, where where you did we determine last time where you were at in Texas? I was in Austin the last time I spoke to I you, see. but I I moved to Dallas actually oh, uh, a couple months ago. Wow, that's that's a change. That's yeah, a change. I, I mean, I grew up here in the Dallas area, so just coming back to yeah. what I already know. You you went from a blue state to a red state. Exactly. In just yeah. three hours. <laughs> in just three hours. Totally. That's exactly it. Yeah, I do miss Austin. I'm not going to lie. I was there seven years. Mm-hmm. I miss it. I miss it a little. But my family's here. Did, my, my did I, last time we talked, I, I can't remember, did I tell you my Austin story about doing the radio show early in the morning at 6.30? No. No, I would love I, to I hear did, this. I did one of the radio shows in Austin, uh, m- my movie, Stephen Tobolowsky's Birthday Party, which is a storytelling uh, movie that we opened the uh, HBO Comedy Festival with that year. So I'm saying this, this place is at around 2005, 2006. Got around it. in that era so the morning show at that time was done in the basement of one of the i don't know if it was the paramount it may have been one of the big theaters on theater row in austin but it was in the basement so oh, i wow. go down to the basement and there's a damn grand piano down there <laughs> and in the words of robert schumann who cannot touch the piano they see the piano who cannot touch it well i have to touch it so I go over, it's probably, the show's gonna start at 6.30 a.m., so I'm there probably about six, and I wander over the piano and I start playing the Schubert uh, Sonata. Wow. I start, I start playing the Schubert Sonata, and it's one of the ones that you've heard of, it's very, very familiar. I start playing this, and it's going really well, and through the corner of my eye, I see a figure moving out of the darkness and then sitting on the damn piano bench next to me. Now, I'm playing Schubert at six in the morning and some person is walking in the basement and sits next to me. And I turn, it was Lyle Lovett. Holy Lyle Lovett. Lyle Lovett, one of the greatest singer-songwriters ever, one of the greatest performers ever, 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 of all time. Lyle Lovett, and and I'm just in awe if I'm looking. And my first thought was, why do people kid Lyle Lovett about being weird looking? Because let me tell you, he is a very handsome man. (laughs) Up close, he's a very handsome man. You know, it doesn't look like, you know, he's a hatchet face or anything, you know? Hey, that's, that's better than the opposite. he's a very handsome man and um it was and it turned out later on i had a student in my improv class in los angeles and he was pretty good or whatever but i saw him always at the back writing stuff i go what are you doing he says oh i'm a i'm a songwriter 
I go, you're a songwriter. He said, yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but I'm in Lyle Lovett's very big, very large band. And I go, yeah. He says, I, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. One, one, <laughs> you know, one I'm twice. not just an yeah. REM guy. <laughs> you know, there's other people on the earth besides Michael Stipe. So anyway, he says, well, you know, we're playing at the Greek or what? I think it was the Greek or the Hollywood. He says, "Why don't you here? Let me get you a comp and and just come on by, come on backstage." So wow. after the show, which was of course fantastic, uh, I I went backstage and met my uh, student who was playing guitar with Lyle Lovett in the very large band, and I wow. got to say hello to Lyle again. So it was it was just amazing. But that wow. all came from the Austin trip. That's crazy. That's great. Was he on the show? Was he supposed to be on the radio show that morning too? Or why was he? I think there? he was. Uh, yeah, he was going to be a guest on. I, I think he was probably going to be the main guest. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of, I was kind of the 630 guest, but he was going to be the right before news guest pitch, you know, seven o'clock to eight o'clock, you know. Right on, right yeah, on. Well, yeah. at least he was supposed to be a guest because that would have been even stranger. That would have been, there, right? <laughs> would have been so weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I sleep in the basement of the Paramount Theater. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, we, this proves we do have basements in Texas. Okay, you, we, right? you do. They're called yeah. tornado cellars. <laughs> That's right. And we need them. That's right. That's but exactly it's, it's right. amazing how people get used to things. I called my brother this week, you know, just to say hello and everything. And I hear this noise in the background, uh, you know, calling back. My dad is 99 now. And wow. You know, yeah. He, he's, he's. That's amazing. Almost, Honestly, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's almost as old as Norman Lear. It's fantastic. And it's like, <laughs> and dad's attitude about everything. I, you know, I wonder if attitude has something to do with it because he is extremely pessimistic. Oh, really? You know, ev everybody says, you know, you need an optimistic viewpoint. Yeah. But I think if you're an optimist, there's a great likelihood you will be disappointed. But my father... <laughs> That's a good point. My That's father funny. is so negative. You know, it's like, I call, how are you doing, Dad? Well, not dead yet. How is breakfast? Why should I eat? You know, I've got no reason to eat. You know, <laughs> are you sleeping well? I want to stay awake. You know, I may not have a, any. You know, I may wake up dead. You know, it's it's like it's wow. he's so negative, but he is still with us. And at the thing is, at ninety nine, you know, he really cannot remember the beginning of a sentence you tell him by the end of the sentence, but. Sometimes he has these moments of insane clarity of memory that are mind-boggling. Wow. That he used to sell newspapers in downtown Dallas when he was in the single digits, you know, like eight, nine years of age. Wow. And he and his brothers would go on their own, no helicopter parenting back then in the 30s. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they would make their way to a corner downtown. They would buy uh, the Dallas Morning News for, I believe it was two and a half cents a paper. And they would sell it for like four cents a paper. You know, so the, so the margin, the profit margin was something like a penny and a half. Oh and 
the kids never got to keep any of the money. All the money came back and went into the family till. And on that family till, they had, I want to say, 10 children in that family. You had two doctors. You had two lawyers. You had a CPA. You had people who had their doctorate in education. All wow. that came from the money from that kitty. Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. That yeah. is crazy. It's only a different time where that used to happen, where you would help support the whole family. You yeah. know, it's kind I, of an odd thing to hear nowadays. I was one of the judges for the USA Film Festival this year in Dallas. And, and I love the USA Film Festival. I was at SMU when Bill Jones did the first USA Film Festival. It was oh, wow. at the USA Film Festival I met Frank Capra. It was at the wow. USA Film Festival I met Gene uh, Arthur. Uh, when I was a student at SMU, the USA Film Festival was the most amazing time for me. And so every year now, uh, Ann Alexander, who's head of the festival here in Dallas, here in Dallas, where you are in Dallas, <laughs> not where I am, you know, she's kind enough to ask me if I'll judge a facet of the festival. And so this year I was judging uh, international films, I believe, short international shortish films. And the film, I believe, that won was one of them that I voted for. It was, uh, I want to say, a Nepalese film. Oh, yeah, wow. From, from Nepal. Yeah. yeah. And, wow. uh, and it was about this young girl, probably 12, 13, and she is a guide with the tourists. It's part kind of, it has the feeling of a documentary that they like to paraglide. The tourists come and paraglide and they jump off of cliffs right in the area where the pre-mountains before the Him Himalayas. Oh, wow. You know, outside of Kathmandu. And, and they jump off of cliffs and these kids' jobs is to restuff the parachutes. That's what wow. their job is. And she wants to keep some of the money. You know, so, and the father bashes her up in the head and says, no, all the money goes to the household. All the money goes to this. What do you need money for? You don't need money for anything. And I'm getting all this feedback from various people involved going, you know, this is just showing how terrible things are for women, for young women growing sure. up in the world and how, how growing up in Nepal. And I go, guys, there's just a general... We forget that that's what life was like in Dallas, except that the girls weren't on the street corner selling the newspapers. They were probably at the house helping the mother and grandmother keep yep. the house straight. Yep. The boys were out there not playing. They were out there selling newspapers in the afternoon, and none of that money went to them. That was what the world was. So rather than being an individual story of hate. It is a generational story of how we just forget what our parents went through to get us to where we are, and we forget, <laughs> we're gonna forget too. And, and our <laughs> kids forget what we did for them. And this is one of the reasons why I think, as people, we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, sure. We because our yeah. knowledge is so incrementally moved forward. Yeah. Plus, at the same time, a lot of people think, well, 
it's different now. It's always right. No matter what the present time is, it's different now. So maybe this will work this time, whatever the thing is, uh, which is why we keep making the same mistakes. So I think. Yeah. What, what, and I want to say, what is it? Someone out there, correct me, uh, who's listening will correct me, but it was the Greek philosopher. And I think his, I think it was Herodotus. I, I think that I can't help. But, maybe, I but someone help. who's listening to the <laughs> podcast sure. will. Yeah, for sure. For but sure. He, you know, I was doing the Goldbergs. How does Herodotus have anything to do with the Goldbergs? <laughs> so we were shooting at a, a college library, and I was standing in the book stacks waiting for my cue, and they kept having line issues on set. And so I'm Principal Earl Ball getting ready to make my entrance, and it's taken a while. So I want to take my mind off of what's going on. So I pull a book out at random, and it's this book of Greek philosophers. Wow. So I said, I'm going to start just reading this. And it was fantastic. So anyway, Herodotus, I think it was Herodotus, said, you can never step into the same river. A man can never step into the same river twice because the river is never the same, nor is the man. Wow. Boy, that's powerful. And I go like, holy man alive. Yeah, the river is not the same, nor is the is man. Is the man. Yeah, that's a great point, too. We change, too. And it's, it's like when yeah. we think like, well, this time I'm not going to make that mistake again. Well, guess what? You're not the same person you were a year ago. That's you have different true. likes and dislikes. You are... Uh, at some points in your life, you are more powerful and strong, and in other points, you are more diminished. So, right. you know, you're not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, wow. that was a downer. But that's... No, that's not... Look, that's fascinating. So I've kind of been on this kick the last couple of weeks of these things, you know, these guests we've had onto the pie. I've been dropping nuggets of wisdom on me, just like you're doing right now. Like, I've been... I heard one the other day from a comic artist named Dan Perraro. He, he does a... It's called Bizarro. Mm -hmm. uh it's it's uh, bizarro.com anyway it's a comic a comic thing that he does he's been doing it for 30 years anyway he he told me this he said um the way you live your day is the way you'll live your life that stuck with me i mean that was a couple of weeks ago but i have been thinking about that every single day um th that i live in the moment you know that, that and that what my day is how i act in the day if i'm you know, half, half glass full, half glass empty. Am I angry at everything? Am I getting annoyed? Am I upset? Am I, or am I generally happy throughout the day? And that is basically what your life will be. And that's kind of fascinating. That is about. fascinating. That, that is, yeah, everything is a litmus test as to how, how you're going to respond to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, I guess I'm, I'm just, stunned with that now thinking about life during this pandemic because sure. every day is so deadly boring and it, it it's that i'm not able to do the things that i do well so i'm only able to do the things i do poorly like clean the rabbit cage feed the cats take the cat to the vet dress like mad max beyond the thunderdome i'm i only am able to do these things that I do very poorly. And so you start feeling bad about yourself that you can't really contribute like you did before. Sure. And I think, I think this comment about the way you respond. Now, my wife has a very healthy attitude. She says that the trials that we are facing now, you have to look at them as 
uh, challenges of flexibility. She said what she well, sees, like that. what like she that. sees in people getting older is the inability to be flexible. And that, wow, yes. you, you know they go like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Absolutely, I'm not doing, I'm not yep. doing that. You know, screw that. This yep. is the way I'm doing it. And sure. at some point in time, you know, you will get to the point where you missed that one evolutionary step uh, that's going to keep you in life. And you're going to be, you know, we're going to get rid of you. You know, a little bit like Zoom. Zoom <laughs> is one of those damn things that like, if, if you're an actor and you go like, you know, I'm a real legitimate actor for the legitimate stage and screw the Zoom stuff, you know, <laughs> and you, you're going to be flat out of uh, doing anything for the next year plus that's if true. you don't learn how to do it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Why, why do you think, um, let's explore some of these reasons. Why do you um, think that people don't want to become flexible? Is it just they're set in their ways? They think that's the way it is? Um, I came I mean, across obvious, but... another, another nugget yesterday, which I know I had heard it before, uh, but it's from one of my greatest uh, Greek philosophers, uh, Epictetus. He's he's phenomenal. And then it passes through uh, uh, Rene Descartes, and then okay. it runs through Sigmund Freud. And that is the, wow. the thing that guides human behavior is two things, which is really one principle. Human beings rush toward pleasure and away from pain. And everything everything falls into that pattern. And so I think what happens is, at a certain point, the damn computer becomes a pain. It's not a pleasure. And when, when you have to download another program and you have to go, oh, like I did the Academy Award voting this year, right? So I'm able to do the Academy Award voting. I'm not that much of a Luddite. So what you have to do is you have to, you have to go to the Academy Award academy website put in your code they're going to send a uh, verification code to your cell phone and then you're going to take that verification code and slip it in there and then it'll take you to where you can vote and then once you start voting you have 90 minutes to finish voting and then it shuts it down so you have to have seen all the movies and everything ready you have to and so i i take notes you know i i end up with all my notes of who i'm going to vote for and all that stuff ready so i go like this and i'm able to get through the voting in about 40 minutes uh i have actor friends and they just said can't do it screw it it. you know it's like i can't find where the verification code comes i can't stick it in you know it used it used to be yeah that's the phrase right that's the phrase that's it. it used to be we had to vote. We had to vote. We had to take our envelope. <laughs> we had to put it in the mailbox, and it had to get to an address on Main Street by Monday at 5 o'clock. That and actually so sounds like more work yeah, than just and, going online. And, <laughs> and, and, and so you, you know what happens is, and this is the way I see it, as human beings, we love. We love all sorts of things, which sounds wonderful unless cocaine is one of the things we love. (laughs) You know, so we love things. That's 
number one, we, we love money. We love our family. We love Finn, our kitty cat. We, right. love, we love Silverado, the rabbit out front. We love working. Uh, we love our yard. And then the next phase of that is we seek to protect what we love. So I pay the rent, the mortgage, I have life insurance, uh, we have locks on our home to keep the bad people away. Uh, we, we, have a, we, we go to the doctor when we seek to protect what we love. However, the next phase is, is when it becomes too big of a headache yeah. to do that protection or too expensive if they raise the insurance, if, if it becomes too, then we go, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore because we are rushing away from pain. We're saying oh. enough of that. And that's when you can get screwed, blued, and tattooed. That's when you start, <laughs> that's when you start getting thrown under the threshing machine. Sure. You know, when, you don't, when you don't protect what you love anymore, that's when, and it happens, we give up on it. We give up. Sure. It happens. Do you have time for a terrible story? I have absolutely. Are you kidding okay. me? <laughs> here's a terrible. Here's a terrible story from the old days. This okay. is before. Okay, so we have things we love. We have work. We have our children, which we love. I was doing a movie in South Carolina, and there was a woman who was working there. Very charming woman, uh, and I'll call her Debbie. I'll give her a different name. I'll call her Debbie. And, okay. and, and Debbie was working there, and uh, she was married, and she had a couple kids, and uh, she wanted to be an actress, but she was an extra on this movie. So I thought, oh, great. And, you know, that's very very sweet girl. And so we, we talked, or sometimes we had dinner at lunch hour and whatever. That's in South Carolina. Uh, a year later, I'm doing a sitcom over here at Warner Brothers, and I'm walking on the lot. There's Debbie. There is what? Debbie. And I go, what, what are you doing here? And she says, oh, uh, I'm having a little trouble. My husband and I were, anyway, he took one of my children. I have the other child here, and I have to find a way to get my family together again. And I thought maybe I could get extra work. I said, well, I'm working on a show here. Why don't I, why don't I get you a job here uh, as, as an extra? So I did. I went to the producer and got her a job as an extra, and she started making some money as an extra. He wow. goes, thank you. Um, is there, I mean, do you need a babysitter? I go, sure. So I bring Debbie over. She starts babysitting our kids. And this is back in the old days before banking was done online. There was a time when the only thing that your computer was good for was wasting time and writing screenplays, which is basically <laughs> the same thing as a waste of time. There was no online banking. There was no, you know, the internet did not really exist. You, you, nothing important was done on a computer. You got a bank statement at the end of every month with what they call canceled checks, right? You yep, write a I check, you that. get all your checks back. And then, yep. but, but you get that thick wad of checks and you get the, the ledger from the bank and it's too much pain yeah too much pain to look at that well my wife loves pain <laughs> <laughs> she had to she had to to be married to me i gotta tell you so annie loves pain and so every time that damn thick bank statement came in she opened it up and she started going through every one of those checks and she found something she found a cash transfer 
for $2,493 from us somehow to Debbie. Wow. And, and going like, and then she found another and another. The next one was 2,400, I'm making this up now, $87. The next one was $2,496. Do you see a trend? Do you understand what the trend is? What is the trend? 2,400, I don't know. Big amounts here. I don't know. Beneath, sometimes you know something not from what it is, but from what it is not. I see. It is not $2,500. Because it turns out at $2,500 is when the bank automatically kicks in an investigation. Ah. And if it's over $10,000, the federal government does it. So I'm thinking like, oh, somehow Debbie is stealing money from us. So wow. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like going like, uh, I got to figure out what's going on here. And I go to work the next day to the set. And one of the other people saying, oh, you know, it's so wonderful that Debbie is working. You know, Debbie is so great. You know, she's working in our house. She's working as my assistant now. And one of the other people on the show, I go, uh-oh. And he goes, and, you know, she's here with her, she's here with her kid, and she, she wanted to put a, a suitcase in my basement. Basement? Texas, you have basements. You call them tornado cellars. But let me tell you, in L.A., you don't have basements. And I said, you have a basement? And she said, well, it's not really a basement. It's a crawl space. Wait a minute. Debbie put a suitcase in your crawl space? Yeah, she said, just till her husband is able to come out and uh, with, with her kid, and then they're moving in together. Okay, can I come see that suitcase? Sure. So I go over to her house that night after rehearsal. I crawl in the crawl space. It's not a suitcase. It's a cardboard box. And I pull out the cardboard box, open the top, and it is a series of driver's licenses, of social security cards, of passports, all with different names, different pictures. Uh, Well, it's Debbie's picture, but different names as to who she is, different photographs of her and her husband, but different husbands all the time, different names. Some, Some of her names was Susan, one was Sarah, all this, I'm going, Motherfucker. I'm going like, yeah. what the? What is this? So, knowing me, oh my God. it's like out of a movie. I, I told crazy. you this is a terrible story. So, <laughs> I do the one logical thing I can think of. I call the FBI. Wow. Right? Because it's a crime across interstate lines. That's true. And you're so seeing I, a bunch of IDs and, you know. Yeah. I called the FBI. I called the FBI in South Carolina. To say oh, like, wow. I have this person, and they start laughing. Oh, that's where she is. Yeah, we knew she'd pop up sooner. I said, listen, I just need to know what I'm dealing with here. Uh, are we in danger? What What is going on? She's kind of infiltrated our entire job, our entire cast, our entire group. You know, who knows what she's doing? She's already scammed us out of, you know, something like 7,000, can we, what can oh, we do? He says, well, yeah. she's not violent. You don't have to worry. She's not violent, but she is, she is, a, we are looking for her. So um, we're on our way. Okay. Okay. That's good. So that evening, I. Uh, Stephen, I just got to say, I'm literally hanging on every word, by the way. Yeah. So, I just to let you know that I'm hanging on every word here. Oh my God. I bring that's Debbie crazy. 
into our kid's bedroom. I said, Debbie, you're fired. And, and she's like, what? I said, this is the deal. Right now, I want you to open your purse and want you to pull out your checkbook and write a check for the money you took out from our account right now, immediately. $7,500, we'll round it off to $7,500, write it now, not gonna complain, not gonna complain about anything. And in return for you doing that, I want to mention that the FBI is on their way. They know all about you. They know your address, your phone number, everything. So write out the check now, and if I were you, I would leave and never come back again because tomorrow morning you will probably be in jail for the good years of your life. You know, the man steps in the river, and the river is never the same because, Debbie, you will not be the same <laughs> when you get out of that river. So anyway... That's what used to happen in the old days. I'll get back to the original subject. In the old days, when we didn't have computers and computer banking, and it was the Anne was was willing to take the pain of looking through that, and that's what saved us. But a lot of people, Debbie knew, a lot of people don't look at those statements until late. I'm sure it's all okay. I'm sure it's all okay. And now yeah. everything is digitized. Yep. And so we have the ability to watch that. But as soon as that digital format of the computer and computer and all that becomes too complicated for you as an individual, you, you check out. Yep. You just go like, no, nope, not going to do it. And, and that's when you start to slip off the world. When you yeah. just go, the pain makes you not take the next step. Wow. That, that's I mean, that is one of the most fascinating stories I ever heard, to be honest with you. That is absolutely insane. Um, insane. Yes. That's and insane. it's and it's just and it's just and what made it even more insane. This this will just, you know, it's Charles Dickens always at the end of his story at the end. You know, he had these like the final chapters were like mind blowing. Uh, Debbie called me again. She called oh, me no again way. nine months later. She Boy. called me on the phone, goes, Stephen, oh, it's Debbie. Hi. Um, I have a question. Now, what do you think the question was? Uh, can I get work? No way. Yeah, no yes. Way. No way. The question no was, can you write a letter of recommendation for <laughs> me? <laughs> wow. This woman. Wow. As we say in Spanish, tiene cojones, vamos, mi madre mía. That she had to crazy. have no, but she, like my father, forgot the end of the the end of the story. She forgot what had happened before. Why she left town? She forgot. That's insane. I forget. That's why we're unable to learn. We we forget. But anyway, you know, I'm I'm sure you know she's out there somewhere doing what she does, and for whatever reason, she does what she does. But, you know, she will continue to do that to protect what she loves, her children. Sure. Uh, to protect her lifestyle until there is pain. And that's why there is law enforcement to create pain 
to where people that are, are criminals, like Debbie was not a violent criminal, but she was sure. a criminal, to where criminals go, this hurts too much to do this. Maybe I need to get a real job. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. What does push people to get out of that lifestyle? You know, usually it's easier to do that, to steal and to, you know, take things the, that aren't the, yours. Sometimes. The thing I found through my life, everybody, everybody think, yeah, everybody thinks that theft and criminality because of movies we watch is based on wealth. You know, yeah. that these criminals see wealth and they're drawn to it like Elon Musk. Oh, if I can just know. It's not wealth, it's weakness. That's the magnet. Wow. So that's why people are always hitting, you know, robbing the elderly for 50 bucks. Sure. You know, it's that they're defenseless and weak. You could scam them. Yep. You know, so what you have to do is you, you, have, to you have to defend against increasing weakness as you get older. You know, wow. you, you could do fewer things as you get older, so you have to build upon strengths when you're younger, which could be morality, which, which could be a bank account, which could be all sorts of things. Sure. Exercising constantly. It could be all sorts of things to keep decrepitude from becoming your way of life because then you become weak and then you become prey to people who seek out weakness. Yep. Wow. I'm just so glad that you found everything out and, you know, put that you were like detective here. Like you put the whole thing together. You put this whole case together. It was, you know, but there was another thing too. If I had, now I have more knowledge. Another yep. thing about the, the, another clue that was there to the real detective of the $2,493.24, you know, it took, a real detective would know that that's an internal bank yeah, uh, I see what figure. You're so sure. that means there had to have been a person on the inside of the bank that was working with her. That, that told, told her, her hey, yeah, yeah, you're right. keep it under this amount and I'll do it for 20% of whatever you get. Sure, sure, absolutely. So a yep. teller was doing it, was helping her. Wow. Part of it. Crazy. That's crazy. So, so just to wrap up that story, she, she did give you the 7,500 and then took off. I got the money know, that back. day. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there was no drama about it. She just said, Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. This is none of this is true. I said, oh, just so she denied it. She denied it. She wow. denied it. He said, I'll give you, I'll give you this, but this is, this is all a huge misunderstanding. Just you know, don't deposit that yet. You know, so I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hang on to this for a couple. Of just, hours. just it, it'll all clear up in a second. And and then you know, I of course deposited. She walked out the door very calmly. Never saw or heard of her until nine months nine later months, when yeah. she asked for. But I yeah deposited immediately and and told all my friends that knew her please look through those packets from the bank immediately. Oh. Don't have your people do it. You do it. Yeah. You know, because actors, you know, we're so busy that sure. you get to be a big actor, you, you know, you know, like if you're a star on one of these shows, you have assistants who would like look through your stuff for you. They wouldn't know it, that that cash transfer was wasn't, wasn't real. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. How would they you know? know? How would you yeah. know? You know, yeah. you're just saying, oh, yeah, I did the job. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you're one of those, if you work sure. for one of those big people. That is just, I mean, that is just absolutely crazy. It makes me wonder, like, how many times 
you know, that's happened in Hollywood. I'm sure that's yeah. happened a lot to be honest yeah. with you, yeah. you know, yeah. like you Terrifying. said, people are just so busy. They're so into what they don't have time to check this out. And they're not going to think that someone is going to do that. And the other person, like you said, Debbie, uh, you know, Debbie, she, she takes advantage of that fact. She knows that people aren't going to follow up. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that because that's not where people's mindset is. People's mindset aren't oh, everybody stealing from me and I need to watch everybody. Right. We go through life genuinely trusting uh, the people around us and what they well, say. Well, our, our mindset, at least, you know, mine, like here in Hollywood is how can I get stronger? How can yeah. I get better? Uh, yeah. How can I be more effective in my auditions? How can I be more effective in a role? How can I stay in shape? We, we keep thinking of ways to be stronger. But if you have kind of a certain mentality, you're looking like, how can I find other people's weakness? How yeah. can I find where it is that the dam will break if I push it the right sure. way? Yeah. Y you know, that's, yeah. Yeah. that's wow. a different way to live. But it's also, I think, from my point of view, a, a much more unpleasant way to live. Absolutely. Very unpleasant. 100%. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and again, I think, like you said, um, a lot of those people are weak and really unhappy and depressed. They're not where they really want to be. You right, know, right. Sometimes right. you've just gotten into a circle, right? You've just gotten into this mode of, and you can't get out of it like an addict of sorts. And, and it's, it, it's tough. And it's also, a, uh, I don't want to, it's wrong to say childish because there's a great thing about being a child and innocence and imaginative leaps a child can take. But, you know, when we're born, we don't really know about work. I, there was, uh, at Beverly Hills High School, they had uh, career day. And they had me and a fellow who is a terrific actor, but he doesn't work really as an actor. He, he occasionally does shows for free, but he works as a real estate man. Got it. And so they wanted us both to speak to the class of Beverly Hills High School on career day about being an actor. So he got up first and spoke about how great being an actor is. You know, how wonderful it is that you read a script and you're transported in the imagination and you get to make this leap and you get, there's nothing better than a, being in the theater. And then I got up and I said, not saying anything that what he said isn't true, but he sells real estate. <laughs> He's not an actor. He is, let me ask everybody here a question. Now there's again, like maybe 120 kids in this big hall. I said, how many of you want to be an actor because you want to be rich and famous? And all the hands just shoot up. It's like a redwood forest. Yeah. I said, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Bring your hands down. How many of you would be want to be an actor if you never got paid for being an actor? And the only job you had, the only acting job, work you got it was for free and you had to do it in the evening rehearse at a small black box theater while take you take care of your kids all day or go to work all day then you run over to the theater you rehearse at night you do a show that will never be reviewed and no one will ever see uh maybe just friends and family will come to it and and you still do it two girls raised their hands wow and i said you two are the only two that are going to make it because the idea of work is pain. 
That's people true. see it as pain instead of as benefit. And so yeah. they go like, I want it to be easy. I want to be the star of American Idol. Yeah. I yep. just want to win American Idol. I don't even want to have to audition for Simon. <laughs> yeah. I just want to I just want to walk in, they do the golden buzzer, and then they give me the million dollars and I leave. Yeah. That's what I want. I don't want to have had to have spent an entire life working at being a singer and being a waiter or a waitress and singing wherever I could to develop my chops and then get up there and, and stand in front of that audience and perform and go through how nerve-wracking that is and be a warrior for yourself. Absolutely. We're, we're not taught how to be a warrior for ourselves. Wow, I love that. That's a really... Uh, that's going to stick with me right there. I love that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, it's very reminiscent of, you know, going through the restaurant industry myself and seeing how chefs were and certain chefs like just like give me the kitchen, you know, make me the executive chef, make me that th it's like, dude, you haven't done the work that it takes <laughs> to get what are you talking about? Like, this is, this is a lot of work. <laughs> like, you know, uh, it's the same sort of thing. They just it's this um, it's this weird expectation, like they deserve something that for no reason just like you exist you you should have this opportunity um it's, it doesn't really work that way you got to work your way up and earn it earn the at bat if you will um you know to to do that so wow that's so interesting that's fascinating yeah yeah yeah, yeah. now where people's minds are you know uh, when they start something um if, for instance um you know i wasn't a podcaster before um i was a chef you know run my own stuff and this has been such a great career you know, pivot for me. And I, I love doing this and I love to get to speak to so many people. I mean, we're 150 episodes in, you know, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you've been a big part of it. I'm not gonna lie. Um, and, but people ask me all the time, how did, you know, how did you get that? How did, you know, how did that happen? What, what is it? You're so lucky. You're so lucky. You know, it's like, dude, that's not luck. This, I worked hard to get to this point. You know, I, I did all XXX before that, led people to think I could do this, you know what I mean, to, to do this. And then it's hard work to do this day in and day out and, and keep it going and blah, blah, blah. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like people just want it. They just want the podcast or the, the acting job or the whatever without uh, putting in the work, which, first of all, you're not going to enjoy it as much. Anything you're just given for nothing. I mean, at least in my experience, I, I don't enjoy it. It doesn't have the same value to me as if I earned it. And, you know. and I don't remember if we talked about this last time. Uh, stop me if we did. Uh, but one thing I learned this year, right before the pandemic, was I was working on Schooled, which was the spinoff from Goldberg's. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't, we didn't talk about this. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a boy on Schooled. It was his first job ever as a professional actor. Oh, his wow. name was Justin. He was 17 years old. He was there with his father. He was very nervous. He didn't have any lines, but he had to high five one of the stars of the show in the hallway. And he was like, you know, he's practicing, you know, <laughs> you know high, low, you know. He's like, I don't want to come in too fast. You know, you know, he's doing, and so the father says, uh, Mr. Tobolowski, I love it now. I'm so damn old. People call me Mr. Tobolowski. Mr. Tobolowski, <laughs> could you give Justin some advice? You've been in the business for so long. And so I have this standard line that I would always say. I said, well, you know, the mantra I heard when I came out to Los Angeles was, get a job, get an agent, get a good job, get a good agent. And, <laughs> I love that. That's so and, funny. 
And the getting the job always came before getting the agent because agents like people, agents don't get you work. Agents like actors who get the work themselves. And then the agents are able to pig, piggyback on that and make the deal. <laughs> you, you know, they, they want actors that are going to do their own work. And I'm, as I'm saying this line that I've said for years, and there's truth to that line, sure. I'm thinking back the other part of my brain is thinking back to my first television job that I ever got. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. And there it was hiding in plain sight, something that I'd never realized my entire life. The first job I ever got on TV, uh, sitcom, was for the TV show Alice. Oh, wow. Uh, right? Yes, you know, I, I watched Linda it on reruns. La I'm 41, so I had to watch it on reruns. Uh, Linda Lavin and Vic Tybeck and uh, great show. And Mindy Marin Amazing. was the casting director. And one morning, Mindy Marin called me at home. This was back in the old days where, you know, we didn't have iPhones or no texting. <laughs> she called me on the phone and said, Stephen, we've had a problem with our caveman, Carl. Uh, our caveman, Carl... Uh, can't do the show today. Now, Caveman Carl, if you people remember the last generation, he was like a Wolfman Jack. He was like a crazy rock and roll DJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah! Well, you know, and I had wild hair back. Oh, yeah, mama! So they, they lost their Caveman Carl, and they said, can you come in, read with Beth Howland, who's in our cast, and for the director and the producer, they give you the thumbs up. You're going to go straight into costume, wardrobe. I mean, great into costume, makeup, and hair. And you're going to perform this afternoon in front of a live audience. Like, will you be able to do that? Wow. And I go, you bet. You bet, Mindy. So I, and this is back, you know, there was no internet. So I had to drive over to the studio to get the script. <laughs> right. You, you know, there was no like sides coming over the, the internet. So I had to drive over to get my script and I'd go have breakfast and I'm learning the caveman Carl scene as, as best I can. And I go over that afternoon and I get the job. And that afternoon I was caveman Carl on the, on the show, Alice. It was my first uh, TV sitcom job. And I thought about it while I'm talking to Justin and Justin's father. Wait a minute. Mindy Marin never called me in to audition for Caveman Carl when she was originally casting the role. Uh, I didn't audition for this part. I had only auditioned for Mindy Marin maybe five times in my life, and each time was a failure. Yeah. Each time, no callback, no pat on the back, attaboy, you did a good job, maybe next time. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So as an actor, I thought failure, failure, failure. I am so far away. Every time I audition, I get nothing, nowhere. Mindy Marin called me at home on the phone, not because of my successes, but because of my failures. As an actor, I was unaware that my failures had made an impression on her to such an extent that when her back was against the wall, she called me. Wow. So we don't know the effect we have on our motion through the world. Our, our sense of what is success or failure is completely wrong. 
we may be making a great impression on people, even though, like, you know, when you were a chef, you may have made a great impression on people with your ability to think and speak on your feet, which makes you a great podcaster. Yeah, that's you know, exactly it. Yep. You, you may have dealt with a lot of people in a lot of different situations, and you, you handle it without stress and with a lot of ease, which makes you a great host. You, you know, so all of this, we don't know really where we get the building blocks for the next toy we're going to build. We wow. don't know. We don't know where it comes from. So that's why it's important to just keep doing it. And, and just right. as a final addendum on this, when I was teaching uh, comedy and improv, I kept making the assignments really simpler and simpler for the people in my class. Like, I'm going to give you commercial copy. Here it is. Like, I didn't say, go find a commercial from a magazine. You know, <laughs> you, no, here, I'm giving you the copy. Uh, record three versions of this on your phone and bring it back on your phone because everybody's attached to their phone. How many, what would you say the percentage of the people in my class are who would do their assignment? Whoosh. They're adults, right? They're adults. Yeah, so adults. I'm, I'm going to say, well, to me, it makes a difference. I'm going to say half. Yeah, I would say half, 5%. About wow. 5%. Wow. 95% just didn't do it. <laughs> Holy so, cow. That's crazy. One of the things about being an actor, being a podcaster, being a chef, being anything, is you have to do it. And if you do it, you're already at the 95 percentile mark because the wow. other people are just binging Netflix. That's crazy. They are just there. They're just there. Have you seen The Queen's Gambit? <laughs> Boy, is it good. You know, the rest, you know, oh. we... we you know, like me today, I am going to not be doing it. I'm probably going to be watching the golf tournament. You know, I'm going to be watching the PGA. That's when, I, but I'm going to go, boy, man, did you, as opposed to doing it, I could be actually working on something today, but I'm probably going to not do that. You know, I'm going to not do it. Oh, come on. You've, uh, <laughs> you've put in the work, Steven. Let's be real here. Let's be real. You deserve uh, to kick back. That's when you deserve to kick back. You've put in the work. Yeah, you deserve a break today. That, you know, I'm, um, I find that when I get like these, I, I, I get these auditions now that are via Zoom or, you know, everything is virtual. Yeah. And casting directors oh. will send me some kind of instruction or whatever. And then I'll write back to them and say, could you be more specific? Can you be more detailed? What exactly are you what looking for? What exactly are you not looking for? And they respond to me, thank you for asking. Uh, you know, we try to do this quickly because we know people are so busy, but yes, let me explain what people... And then I do the audition, and then the casting director t texted me back and said, why did you ask me those questions? I said, because it's not about me getting the part or not getting the part. What I rehearse is, is blowing it off. When you rehearse blowing it off, you will blow it off in the future. When you rehearse doing due diligence and doing the best you can on an audition, then you will be, you will be laying that track for, for the rest of your life. And with the auditions, which I'm getting, it's so easy to blow things off in the pandemic. 
I don't want to blow it off. I want to do it the best I can so that if, you know, I have an audition for another great show like One Day at a Time or something like that, I've worked at not blowing things off. And I've done my rehearsal and and I've done the right thing. That's what I want to practice during the pandemic. That's the whole right what you do in your day is which is how you live your lifetime that's it i mean that's the perfect example perfect wow. example callback perfect yeah. example perfect example yeah. what you do in your day you do in your life yeah. exactly yeah yes so wow. if you practice being a lazy bum you will be a lazy bum but you that's will right. be the best lazy bum you could be <laughs> and there might be room for that somewhere i don't know <laughs> There might be. I guess if you're the best, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Wow. That God, this has been absolutely fascinating, Stephen, talking about all this stuff. I gotta say, I wasn't expecting uh to break down that, but I should have. I listen, I've been you know, to be fair, I've been listening to your podcast, the Tobolowski Files. Great podcast, by the way. You, oh, you did an you. amazing job. You're just an amazing storyteller. You have to be one of the best storytellers I've ever heard in my life, for real. I, I mean that. Um but yeah, the podcast is amazing. Uh, I should honestly should have expected that from your podcast. Um, well, well, thank yeah. you, thank you. You know, it it means a lot to me, and and I'm writing uh, the next group of of stories now, and uh, I found kind of the central theme. I found over time, over the last ten years, that what you have to do is since all the tr- stories are true stories and they're not in chronological order, you end up having this random. Uh, kind of montage of a life that that doesn't necessarily make logical sense but if you have a kind of fulcrum that you know an axle a spine that everything builds around like the last group of stories I did it was all based on that Carl Jung experience from from the book um, uh, philosophy uh, psychiatry and alchemy it was okay. one of Jung's books. I have it right up here somewhere. And uh, Psychiatry and Alchemy and Jung, he was writing in the 1930s. And he is writing that he's walking through an art museum of sketches and paintings done by alchemists in the 14th, 15th, and 16th century. Wow. So I'm thinking like, oh, well, this is arcane. This is yeah. so damn weird. And and then Jung says, like, it's amazing because he sees one of the pictures in the gallery that completely was described by a patient he had seen that week talking to him about a dream he had. The same vision that the patient had in the 1930s was the same picture from the 14th, 15th, or 16th century. And then in the book, Science and Alchemy, they showed the picture, and I freeze because it is the same vision I had a dream in the 1980s that I have never been able to forget. Wow. And I go, oh, my God. Wow. And so the fulcrum of the last group of stories was that quite possibly what we are, whether we're an actor or writer or podcaster or chef, whatever we are, may have been triggered by something that happened centuries before and have come into our life some somehow a vision uh, a seed of something that has come into our lives from centuries before uh that's fascinating my, my that brother's daughter so that would be my my niece 
my niece, Deborah, yeah. she's totally into uh, genealogy. And she got all of these old, 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 old pictures of the Tobolowsky and Weinstein family. Weinstein is my mother's side. And there's this picture of this old guy in like Russia, huge black beard sitting by the fire. And Deborah said, this guy uh, was a great, great grandfather of our grandmother. You know, it goes back to a hundred years or so. You know, the guy lived at the end of the, what is it, the 19th century. You know, he died back then. This is this old grainy photo of this guy with this huge beard. And uh, she said he was renowned as the storyteller of their town. Wow. And I go like, oh, well, maybe (laughs) there was something in my mother's line in family Mm -hmm that came through, that came through him, that ended up coming through me, and maybe it'll be passed on, that'll appear generations afterwards in my grandchildren or great-grandchildren. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. To, to think that something so long ago can affect your, right, your, your right. journey in life. Right. That's, that's mind-blowing to me. I mean, that's really, that's like... Yeah, that's terrifying. It's amazing. Yeah. It's terrifying at the same time, too. <laughs> You're right. It's a little terrible. It's like, do it, it's sort of, you know, ask the question, how much control do we have over who we're going to be? Yes. Yeah. You know? That's fascinating yeah. to me. Because, again, today, you and I sitting here are not the same people stepping in the same river, and we're not the same people that we were last time we spoke or generations past. Yeah. You know, it, it, the iteration is different for us you know how it how it appears in our lives is going to appear to be a completely new thing when it may not be a new thing exactly when it may not actually be a new thing yeah that's fascinating that is fascinating i love this stuff about life you know this is the stuff that fascinates me yeah to be honest with you the whys i'm all about the why of things uh for for some reason um, yeah, I, somebody sure. asked me what the difference is between being an actor and a writer. And I said, the simplest difference is actors are always interested in questions. Writers are always interested in answers. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Wow. <laughs> that is interesting. That's like kind of, that's kind of crazy, right? That's kind of, wow. So, you know, you do both. I do both. I do that. So you're able to have, you know, both of those perspectives, I guess. Yeah, and, and I learned when I was too. writing the Tobolowsky files and then writing the books for Simon & Schuster is that, oh, I began to see what that discipline was. And sure. I began to go like, oh, you know, the audience isn't happy when you write a book unless you get to the answer. You have to propose a question at the beginning and you have to get to an answer that is satisfying somewhere along the way, or people are not going to like what you write. Whereas as an actor, it's not your job to come up with the answer. It's your job sure. to be that character as part of this stew of this cast and yep. tell the story. Yeah, an ingredient in the dish, uh, if you will. Uh, yeah, wow. That is, uh, you know, that makes me look at even films and television, everything differently, to be honest with you, even just thinking that. Um, wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, because right, writing in television and film, it's to me, it's changed. I've seen it changing over the last 10 years and the way stories are told and the way, 
yeah, just the way stories are told. It's just, it just seems different to me. When you write a book, you have a beginning, middle, and an end. When you write a screenplay, you usually have a beginning, middle, and end, unless it's a superhero movie, and then you have a little <laughs> tag at the end so you can have a sequel. That's right. When you're writing for television, <laughs> your goal is to never get out of act one. Wow. Your goal is to how long can you keep the damn ball in the air? You know, Jim and Pam on The Office. How can we keep these two people apart? You know, we got to get uh, Jim. We got to move him to Stanford. You know, we got to have him fall in love, you know, with somebody else. We have to have Pam getting engaged. We have to keep him apart. We have to keep it in act one as long as possible because once they're together, it doesn't that, matter. It do, they're going to have kids. You know, That's they're going to have kids and then they're going to yeah. have two kids and three kids yeah. and it's like they're done. Yeah. So, you, you know, television always tries to create new crises in act one to where the story never moves forward and that's crazy and, 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 and that's what they want to do because they want to have another season sure i never thought about it though i mean that makes absolute sense i never thought about it that way wow yeah. that's fascinating that's like lost i think of lost like you, lost. you know it was like what's what's on the island but if you tell us we're done watching the show you know we're done. it's a it's like a magician it's like you know, there's a the great scene in The Prestige, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan, you know him very well. Yes. Um, I, it's one of my favorite movies. I love The Prestige it's so great much. Movie, yeah. And he says, uh, I, I think it's Christian Bale's character. Yeah, it is Christian Bale's character. He's telling his his wife in the film, he says, because she says, tell me how you did that trick. He says, I can't tell you. The moment I tell you how to do this trick, you don't care anymore. It loses all power. And that's that's basically it. That's fascinating. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I'm, 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 this is what's happening right here, Stephen, today. <laughs> this, this, I wish I had more brains to, to be blown today. Yeah. Right? Well, that, I, that. I've only got the one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Uh, you know what I wanted to do real quick, Stephen, was um, this, uh, this story you told about Stevie Ray Vaughan. The last mm -hmm. time you were on, I got to yeah. tell you, man, that thing went like viral for real. It, people were saying that, um, you know, they never heard this story before. It like blew the door open on Stevie Ray Vaughn's like history a little bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughn fans in the comment. They just love this story so much, man. They're mm -hmm. so happy you told it. Um, so, you know, I wanted those comments to come across to you. I don't know if you saw them or whatever, but oh, just that. so just so you know, um, that that's literally what they say about, I mean, it just, there's literally hundreds of comments. That's all that, all that it is, is what a great story. What a great story. Wow. Coolest story ever. I, it's literally just one after another. Um, did, did so. I told you, did I show you the poster from the record last time? No. Oh my God. So we got no an way. addendum for all the Stevie Ray Vaughan fans because, uh, I was doing, uh, an interview before and somebody was asking me about the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing and they didn't believe me. They thought I was exaggerating. <laughs> and what I've learned is, you know, I've learned is the truth is so much more interesting than exaggerating. So I happen to have the album right here. Let me, oh wow. Let me get it. Yes, right that's awesome. Wow, guys, look at this. This is amazing. Yeah, this is a great addendum to this story. People are going to flip over this. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. No way. Here's the album. 
Here is the album. It's called A New High. And when we did this, we had no idea that high was referring to marijuana. <laughs> Nobody smoked marijuana. This was Oak Cliff, man. You thought it was just... Hello. People, people were going to the Church of God and Church of the Nazarene. The, the real argument was, are we going to have music at the dance? You know, that's what was happening in Oak Cliff at that time. So it's a new high. And here is our, our uh, let me see, here is the uh, cast of thousands. That was our group there. Uh, let me do Stevie Ray Vaughan. Here is Steve Vaughan on guitar where my finger is let me see. I'm trying to see that steve Vaughn. and they misspelled my name and uh they spell it Topolowski with a u what and here is our picture so here is stephen Topolowski, string bean over there at the mic and stevie ray is right here sitting there with his guitar and here is Bobby Foreman. He is the run, one person in our group that had real talent because uh, Stevie Ray just sat in with us to do this, these two songs. Uh, he wasn't really a part of our group. And uh, so Bobby ended up in the New Christie Minstrels. He was one of those people that could pick up it. Here's Jim Rigby, who is now, excuse me, a Presbyterian minister in Austin, Texas. Wow. There's, Jim, there's Chris Lingwall and Mike McCullough on bass. There's Mike McCullough. There's Chris Lingwall back there. And there's Stevie Vaughn. There he is right there. Wow. Yeah. He's just, chill, he's just chilling in that chair. Chilling just... in the chair, man. He, he uh, Just wow. uh, amazing, amazing talent. You just, made a lot, you just made a lot of people happy, Stephen. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> there you go. There's an addendum for you. That is wow, that's absolutely amazing. Yes, people are gonna flip over that. That's awesome. I can't believe nobody would believe that. That's crazy. I mean, well, it's, it's just such a, a ridiculous story, you know. It's such a ridiculous story that this 14 year old's gonna play on our band, you know. And uh, and I didn't and want it totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the best, that's the best part of the story. Like, what this 14 year old guy? I don't want this kid over here, yeah. Shut up, Steven. <laughs> this kid's really good. Uh, and I'm I remember they, my I'm girlfriend. I'm glad they didn't listen to you. You know, I am. I'm my, glad they did. My girlfriend at the time. I remember I was going to the studio. My girlfriend at the time was Beth, and uh, she was like, "Oh, she she thought for a moment. Oh, my my boyfriend. He he's in the acting program, but he may want to be a rock and roller. You know, he may be a rock and roller uh, in the future." And, you know, Beth and I were together for 16 years, and she was one of these actresses who never could get an audition. And when we went to uh, graduate school together at the University of Illinois, it was because it was the only school like that would take her. There were a lot of schools that would take me because I was oh so flashy. But, but you know, she was kind of this quiet kind of girl and actress who never got cast so she was saying to me the first year of graduate school you know I think maybe I'm not going to be uh, an actress I'm going to be a writer and I was saying well great Beth <laughs> you know you know you can make more money as a dental hygienist so if you could handle <laughs> teeth that would be really the route to go so we got in this family we have an actor who can't get a job as an actor and we have a writer 
So this is great. And so the first full-length play Beth wrote, she won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. So, and then she, you know, her play went to Broadway, uh, nominated for Tony Awards. She got a deal to have it made into a movie, a uh, million-dollar deal made in the movie, and she, you, you know, it, it, it was like, it, it's like stuff like that. If The truth is so absolutely mind-boggling real. It, yeah. it, it just is just amazing. So, you know, I just encourage people, you know, the truth doesn't get any weirder. You don't, <laughs> you don't have I to agree. be clever if you tell the truth. Absolutely. I mean that right that what's the the saying truth is stranger than friction. I mean that's true. I, I yeah. believe that to be true. Like if oh, you yeah. ever watch some weird stuff on YouTube, you go down a rabbit hole, it'll be like, "Oh, this happened and you know, 10 10 weird things and you'll be like, "Oh my god, this is this is stuff that's happening uh in our world." Just think of uh, UFOs right now that are in the news. It's literally all over the news that we're about to find out that potentially there's more to our life than than what we know. Um that's and that's true that's uh, you can't make that up that's fascinating uh let me tell you as a much older man than you are (laughs) when i first got my library card in oak cliff i let's see i had to have been about eight and my brother was probably 11. one of the first books he checked out was project blue book the true story of ufos so when we were children in oak cliff we knew UFOs were real and we knew all this was real and then for some reason nobody talks about them for decades and now they're back to it it's the same damn story we had in Oak Cliff bring them on bring on the UFO people bring them on you know they're not going to eat us they're not going to enslave us but you know they may they may make us work for substandard wages (laughs) (laughs) you know that that's business, man. That's, that's just the way it works, Stevie. Stevie, that's just the way it works up here in Neptune. <laughs> you know, there's so many, there's so many aliens we have working for us. You know, we have just so many jobs. Can you imagine? You're like on another planet. You're like, I can't even get a good hourly wage on another planet, like anywhere. <laughs> like, you know, like, no. they don't even have benefits here. Like, no. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> One of the first right. law of the universe: <laughs> screw the worker. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, I don't know how you feel about all that coming. Obviously, uh, you seem. Um, you know, like that, that's something you might be interested in. Uh, to me, it's the I don't know why everyone in their dog isn't talking about that story right now. Um, I really don't understand about it. the it's, UFOs. Yeah, it's I mean, Obama, I just saw an interview on Obama uh, literally admitting he's like, look, I'm being real. We know that there are things in the sky. We don't know what they are. We can't understand their trajectory. We don't know what it is. Hello. He just admitted UFOs. Are, I mean, it's happening. It's the disclosures coming out. I think it's fascinating. I'm I'm excited for every video and every photo and and just trying to think about the why. Again, the why why are they here? Or what what is the purpose of it? It's fat is just fascinating to me. And I saw this thing, uh, this interview. I'll make this real quick. But uh, this one guy said um, um, that uh, potentially, and this is from the government. This guy's in the government. He said, you know, we, we don't have a cognitive understanding of the things that we have recovered. He said, and the guy, the journalist asked him, well, what does that mean? He said, well, let me put it this way. 
you know, when people say I see a flying disc, I see a tic tac, I see a triangle with lights. I saw that the truth is the things we have, it's none of that. What we think is it makes you see what makes the most sense to you. I was like, what is happening? What does that mean? The, the object makes you see it in a way that makes the most sense to you. I don't even know if I can put my mind around that. Um, it's like when you fall in love, you know, first date, you know, sitting across the table and you you take a look and you go like, yeah, this could be it. You know, your wow. mind puts together a story that you go like this, this could be the one, you know, we're great at storytelling. That's one of the best things we are is, is creating narratives. And, and I love the idea that some of the debris and the wreckage they found is, is stuff that they can't make sense out of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but there's stuff that they can't make sense out of in terms of things that they found in Assyria and Egypt, you know, yeah, way back right. when. You're you know, right. they go like, oh, yeah. you know, what, what's going on here? Yeah. And, and there's always going to be more mystery than there is certainty. You know, sure. so you got to be comfortable with a certain degree of mystery. I mean, yep. that's why people are religious, be, sure. because it's a way of branding their uncertainty with something that has certain names and certain uh, ideas attached to it. You know, I don't know what God is, but I can attach God to the uncertainty of my fate. You know, I could say that there is a judgment of of the good over the evil, because that's going to make me feel like this narrative makes sense. Sure, absolutely. You, you know, so so. Yep. Anyway, I I am very interested in the UFOs, but but I still feel like they're holding back on all the info. For sure, absolutely, uh, and that will probably always be the case. You know, I think at some point, and maybe it needs to be that way. And I'm not in. I don't yeah. know what's uh, you know going on. Um, I'm sure there's something that we don't need to know. I'm sure that's positive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, right. Let's be real. I, I don't know how much can we handle as people, you know, there's probably something, you know, at best, I don't know about that. Yeah. What would, how would that change my life? Right. In a negative way. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but it is fascinating. There's supposed to be some report coming out here in June. I mean, I'm sure some people know about it. Congress is supposed to get the first, the first official report, I mean, this will be the first, first time ever. So yeah, it's definitely fascinating. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. So way hey, we could find out we're, well, I already think we're not alone, but it yeah. could be definitive uh, at this point. So I think, well, Steven, I think it's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just no, going to no. throw in please, one please. thing about being alone. I think it's Gosh. impossible that we're alone because the reason why we're here is because there is a range of life that's uh, based on how far away we are from a star, the sun. So there's a range of life that goes from part of Venus to part of Mars and all of us in the middle. And if other parts of that that enable water to exist and an atmosphere to hold, so, you know, if there are other qualifications, there's a limitless number of stars. There's going to be another zone of life somewhere out there. And eventually yeah. someone's going to have the technology to get to us yeah. and enslave and eat us. <laughs> That really, will happen. I really hope. Uh, that That's Stephen Hawking's uh, theory. He's like, you remember what Columbus did when he got to New America? He's like, so don't think that aliens coming here are going to be like, hey, let's let's go on a ride on my spaceship and have fun. <laughs> you know? It's not, not going to be the ride you want, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, well, that is fascinating for sure. But I agree with you. Uh, there's absolutely billions of stars. The Goldilocks planet, as they call it, right? That area. This it's this infinite almost. Uh, yeah, absolutely, to totally agree. Uh, which is mind blowing unto itself to think about. I have definitely sat around and thought about what does life look like uh, on other planets. What what could it look like? What you know? How different would it be from ours? How would it change what our purpose is in life? You know, what what do we do every day when we get up, and why do we do it? Uh, would that change that fundamentally? And and that to me is all fascinating because it's been up. It's been a certain way. It's been one way up until now for humanity, which is basically what you said before, uh, go towards love and avoid pain or right, the, the go towards joy and avoid pain. That's been our life. Yeah. Would that change yeah. even if now all of a sudden we know there's different dimensions or life on this other planet, right? Like all these different things that, that scientists um, suggest could be true. Uh, to me, it just changes everything. Like what's the point of, uh, yeah, it's, it's a crazy, I don't know. It's just a crazy thought um, to have. Anyway, sorry, uh, I get deep. I get. I go down deep on that, Stephen. You gotta be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta no, check, no. You gotta check I, me on I, that. I'm with you on that. I'm with yeah. you on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. Uh, well, anyway, Stephen. Um, yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, again, th this has been absolutely an amazing conversation. I can't thank you enough. Um, our fans, our viewers, and selfishly, just me. I enjoyed the hell out of this. This was so great. Uh, I learned so much from you. I, I really mean that. Well, terrific. I mean, it's it's great fun, and it's great fun that you're in Dallas now in tornado yeah. season. This will be fun. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Uh, Whoa! My, dog, my my dogs are ready. Yeah, they're ready. <laughs> Well, listen, Stephen. I wish you uh, the best. And um, oh gosh, uh, I forgot your cat's name. Finn. 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 I'm so sorry. I forgot that. I'm really good with names. I apologize, Finn. I uh, wish the best to Finn. Uh, hope um, he's feeling less stressed. Yeah. Maybe. Gosh. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. For sure. No, I got I got pets. Uh, it's it hits me right here. I know. You know? I know. It, it kills me. He he's yeah. still hiding under the couch, but hopefully. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. He'll come out a little bit later. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, my best to you and your family, Stephen. Again, thank you so much for this. This was awesome. Um, oh, quick, uh, if you want to tell people just how they can stay um, connected with you. And, and we'll put all that stuff in the description as well. But uh, certainly, you know, I'm on Twitter at Tobolowski. I'm on Facebook, Stephen Tobolowski on Facebook. Uh, and certainly the Tobolowski Files is TobolowskiFiles.com. And it's 99 episodes, and they're all free. And not only that, we don't do analytics on everybody, <laughs> on everybody that listens to the story. Okay, well now we can sell them a Sansa belt pants. <laughs> you know, now we can do this. No, it's it's all free, and it's it's all that because we thought, what the hell? You, you know, Microsoft wanted to pay us money to put commercials on, and we thought. We don't want to interrupt the stories with the commercials. So it's all free. So you could listen to it and tell your friends to listen. And it's great fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and again, we'll put all the links and everything in our descriptions and all that stuff. And I do a separate intro. I'll bring all that up, too. So so no worries okay. there. Um, yeah. Again, thank you so much, Stephen, man. This was, again, awesome Pleasure. as always, man. Can't wait to have you on again down the line. So thank you again, brother. Yeah, let's see that one more time. All right, brother. Have a good rest of the day, my man. You too. Adios. Adios. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. 
Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, go to thelonestarplay.com. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time. We'll be right back.